If the screen doesn't give it away, we're starting Romans this morning. I know for some of you, your eyes light up. Wow, finally some doctrine. Some of you go, oh, my head's going to hurt. I just know it. There's division ahead. We're going to argue about stuff. I just don't like that. Some of you have read Romans a hundred times. Some of you never. You know, there are 10-year-olds and 80-year-olds right here in this room. Some people don't know Jesus who are here. And some of us have been walking with him for a long time. So we're going to approach Romans together in the next weeks, several months, but not years. A particular way, and I, I want to put that up front because some people and, and fantastic saints, and I have, I can look at my bookshelf, I have volumes on Romans. 3,000 pages. One man. Pastors I respect who on the first five chapters have done 300 sermons. And sometimes what we're doing is we're trying to do something like this. We're trying to balance all of the doctrine in the Bible on certain verses in Romans and put it all together. We're not going to do that. I want you to see the bicycle, the actual bicycle. And it's a little hard to see there because there's so many other things that we brought in. So my heart for us as we start this, and you don't want to miss these. This is my heart for us is that we might go through Romans and get the argument. By argument, I mean Paul is actually laying something out. This is an amazing book, you know. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, written about 25 years or so after Jesus went back to heaven. And a lot of the letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote were about specific issues. Like he he had a bunch of questions that he'd gotten, and so he's answering 20 questions, kind of. Not this book. This book, he lays out the foundation and the most important pieces of our Christian walk. I want you to know that. I want you to get it. Fantastic what is here. He longs to see the Roman church. He probably from Corinth, we think, perhaps on his third missionary journey. It's to a mixed church, so he's, he's writing to, to folks who are Gentiles like us. They're not all Jews. They're not all steeped in the things that Jews are steeped in. But there are Jewish people there too. And so his big concern is with unity. What's going to make such a diverse and different group that that body was? What's going to make them all live together in unity? To have a single purpose. Listen to Romans chapter 15 verse 6. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's going to be so fantastic and huge that it's going to cause us together, you and I, all of us gathered here, to with one voice praise and honor and glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the good news. It's the gospel. What I don't want is for you to be living your life like you're driving a car over a bridge and you're not sure if the bridge is falling apart or not. You're not sure if the next few feet there's a piece that's going to fall off and you're going to fly over the edge and, and, and get hurt. Kind of like this guy. It's nice, huh? 
He's driving over a bridge, and I'm just not sure. My pieces, they're falling apart. They're not totally together. They're, 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 what's No. As Paul lays it out in Romans, your salvation is so sure. The structure is so firm. It is clear and supported. And we want to see that as we go through it together. So what we're going to do is to go fairly quickly. That means, for example, today we're doing the first, if you look in your in your bulletin, the first 17 verses. You say, how could you do the first 17 verses? They're so rich with deep theology. Yes, they are. And it's all the introduction written by Paul that you might hear what he's going to talk about. What he's talking about and what he's going to put forward for us like a bridge that we can be on firmly is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what he's pulling towards. It's what he's going to present. It's particularly what he's after for us. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, so permeated Paul's thinking that he connected it to people and to prayer and to his purpose. May it be woven through our daily lives as well. I want you to see it. We're going to start with people. Look with me at verse 1 of Romans chapter 1. We'll read the first seven verses. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, here he starts. This is the... The greeting, who it's from, this is a letter, it's written, it's written from Paul, the apostle, it's written to the church at Rome. But I want you to see as he writes, what he does is he opens up. First, it's it's Paul alone. But this isn't as personal as some, this is not people that he knew. So he identifies himself, and how does he do it? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. The word there is slave, right? So Paul the writer, and we're going to be learning from Paul as he wrote by the power of the Holy Spirit this letter. He considered himself first and foremost for our thinking how he presented himself a slave of Jesus. Called to be an apostle, a sent one, and set apart particularly for the gospel. Okay, we know other things about Paul. These are not the things that he could have chosen, right? If you're writing to someone you don't even know, what are you going to write to them to say, hey, hey, listen, this is really important that you you listen to me. And he could have said, I, Paul, for many, many years, a, a, a deep studier of the Hebrew scriptures under Gamaliel. I was a heavy-duty Pharisee. I know the Bible. He could have said, oh, look, I've, 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 I've so strong in all of the holiness doctrines that I've done and my personal purity is there. I want you to listen to this word from me that you need to hear. 
Now he says, what I immediately need you to be based on is that I'm a slave of Jesus. I've been sent by him, and this particularly, I've been set apart for the gospel. This is going to be about the gospel. This is so important that that's the thing he's focusing on. Yeah, 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 I know you're connected to Jesus. But particularly here, set apart, and what we're going to be into is the gospel. Maybe you haven't heard the gospel, he might say. So that's what he did, right, in verses 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. And six, he said, oh, this is the God. Look, look, look. He didn't just say, okay, according to the gospel, hey, grace and peace to you at Rome. Then he pulls back and he says, okay, wait, the gospel, remember? (laughs) Don't forget. Promised beforehand, verse 2, God did. He promised beforehand through his prophets. Those would be Jewish ones. Right? Jeremiah. Moses, Isaiah, promising of the one who was to come. In the Holy Scriptures, yeah, those would be the Hebrew Scriptures. The Old Testament. The Gospel came to us, promised ahead of time in the Old Testament. The Old Testament's about the Gospel too. Concerning His Son, verse 3, that's Jesus, we know. He just says it right there. Descended from David. Yeah, that's an Israelite king. According to the flesh, he was a person. Real, historical. Declared to be the son of God in power. According to the spirit of holiness. Here now holiness comes in. Jesus Christ, our Lord, he is the gospel. He is the good news declared to be the son of God in power because he was raised from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom Paul says we, he's talking about himself and the other apostles. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. This is the gospel. Wow, that got awful serious, awfully fast. Paul went right into, hey, it's coming out of the Jewish scriptures that Paul has studied and and coming through, but he's a slave of Jesus and now wants to present to us, this is so important, I've been set apart for the gospel by which I've received grace. Keep your fingers in Romans and go back with me to Acts just for a minute to see Paul receiving grace and apostleship. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. He's called Saul then, and it says this in Acts chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He went on his way. He approached Damascus. He's a killer. He wants to persecute Christians. He's been killing them. He's involved in the stoning of Stephen. He's involved in these things that are against Jesus. And as he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? He said, Lord. And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
Rise, enter the city where you'll be told what you are to do. We've heard this story. If you haven't heard this story, read the rest. It's in Acts 9. It's about Paul, who was a killer and a murderer of Christians on the road to Damascus, and God doesn't strike him dead. God says, you've been persecuting me. My name is Jesus Christ. I've got a plan for you. Radically altered Paul's life. Radically changed everything about him that he was going to do for the rest of his life. Radically changed him forever. And indeed, in verse 15, if you see what he says, the Lord says to him, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine. Lord speaking to Ananias there. Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Something we've got to realize as we start Romans, and it's about the gospel. There's an amazing backstory to the gospel, and it's all about Israel. It's not about us. Do you see all that? Do you see that the good news started way back promised by the prophets in the Old Testament? Do you see that the good news were in the holy scriptures of the Old Testament? Through the line of David, Jesus came, and it's not to the Gentiles. And then God comes to Paul, particularly. Murderer. Not a good guy. Not the stalwart, wonderful, beaming, angelic Paul that sometimes you see with a nice halo. And he says, look, I've got a plan for you. You're going to go to the Gentiles and the kings. Children of Israel too. This is the presentation of Paul discharging his debt that God has placed on him to bring the good news to the Gentiles, even to the church at Rome. Because he received grace. He wasn't killed. God saved him. And And then he wasn't tossed aside. He was given an apostleship to go and speak by God himself. To bring about, verse 5 as he speaks, the obedience of faith. See, he gets obedience in there. Look, 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 you got to obey. No, obedience of faith, right? What's the work of God, Jesus asked in John 6, 29? It's to believe in the one whom he has sent. That would be Jesus. Even in Romans 4 or 5, look ahead just for a second. We won't do much looking ahead today. But just for a second, Romans 4 verse 5. The one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. That sounds pretty clear. Believing in Jesus, you got to know him. So God in his mercy and his grace says, I know how I'm going to make him known. I'm raising up Paul, an apostle, and I'm sending him to these Gentile nations. To bring about the obedience of the faith, Paul writes, for the sake of his name. It's not even that he wants to just lift up the nations. They're so good. No, they're not good. It's for the sake of his name. It's for the sake of God's glory that we're saved. Among all the nations, verse 5, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. 
hope you see that the gospel is great, but the culmination of what he's talking about is he, he gives this little excursion. He says, okay, my name's Paul. I'm a slave of Jesus. I'm an apostle sent to you to speak to you. I've been set apart for the gospel. You see, and the gospel is this amazing, incredible, fantastic, sent among the nations. I think sometimes we just read right through. We don't get how amazing this is. That Paul has been sent now. The gospel, the good news of God, sent among the nations. The nations are not the good guys in the Bible. You know the nations. Nations like Assyria. Remember Assyria? Hooks in people's lips, dragged off. The nations are not the good guys. Remember Jonah? We, we've done Jonah in our church. Jonah sent by God to go talk to Nineveh, talk to the nations about the glory of God. I'm not going. He turned around, he ran the other way. Why? Because they're horrible, you don't understand. When Paul says this today, when Paul wrote this then, it's an incredible statement that he's bringing the good news of God to the nations. It's not like this. The good news of God being brought to a nice, not yet Christian, but all they need to know is a little bit of Jesus. They're nicely dressed. They're a little old. They could use updating with some electricity and some whatever. But that's a nice, godly family. I think the nations, that's good. We should go to them and tell them about Jesus, the good news of the gospel. No, to their mind, the, the Gentiles were dogs. This is where we want to go. This is God sending Paul to go talk to the down and out. Not the nicely dressed. Not the, not the respectable. Not the glorious. Not the good. The, the, the nations. The evil nations. I worked in medicine for a while when I was in medical school. I worked at a free clinic in downtown San Francisco. And I went to the Tenderloin District. It's a particular district in San Francisco that is really down and out. And we would go into these places where um, people couldn't get out of their homes much. And we'd try and bring them medical care. Well, I went into one, and as soon as I walked in the door, just <laughs> I wanted to throw up right away ever been around that so the smell is so bad that you just need to throw up so i kind of gagging i came into this room and it was dark and not very well lit and and there was a man on the bed and there's just pornography all around the bed there broken bottles and garbage of drinking there were needles in the room bad things that he was doing there's despicable things pictures on the wall this guy couldn't get out of his bed, so he, his legs been amputated, so he's just sitting there in filth. That's the nations. It's that bad. And here, Paul says, this amazing, amazing thought that I've been, for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, I've been sent into the tenderloin, into this home, into this room where it's covered by filth and it's it's horrible and it's even abusive and it's gross and it's sad and it's evil and here comes the light. Here it comes. 
Do you understand how incredible the gospel is? That it brings light to darkness. This is the story of your life. This is the bridge we're going to be on. Is that we were like that, and yet God. Do I live there? And he's speaking to those in Rome, verse 7. Those in Rome. Remember, this would be the, 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 the mindset of the Jew is that we're chosen and, and that the, the Gentile nations are terribly not. Those in Rome. Rome! You get that in AD 70, there's revolts going on. There's, there's stuff that's gonna happen bad because why? Because the Romans are the rulers who are oppressing Israel. To those in Rome who were loved by God and called to be saints. <laughs> this is what the good news does. You know, there are those in Rome, even in the capital of the oppressors, who are loved by God and called to be holy. How different this is. How amazing this is what he wants them to know. Not, not, not to those in Rome who are really bad, but maybe by might squeak in by the teeth of their shoes if they're very careful. Loved by God. Called to be saints. Grace to you and peace. The, the Hebrew and, and Greek greeting put together, very common, but still pulls out, oh, grace from God, good favor from God to you. I, I desire to bless you in peace, rightness with God and man. From God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ brought together the Father and Jesus, they're one. Amazing. Wonderful. Fantastic. This is gospel people. It's radically different than you might think Paul would write. And so it should strike us a little bit, and I hope it struck you. Paul sees people through the lens of the gospel. Gospel people. But not just gospel people, gospel prayer. He keeps going. First, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. That without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles." I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Okay, these are not meant to be dissected out word by word. This is his initial thoughts to the Roman church there. He doesn't know them well, apparently. He mentions no particular names. But he says, oh, I thank my God through Jesus for you. Why? Because of their faith. Your faith is proclaimed in all the world. He says, here's the one thing I really know about you. I've heard you believe. Remember what the work of God is. To 
believe in the one whom he sent. Hey, I've longed to come to you. Can I come to you? I, I would love to come to you. Why? Well, so I might correct you. So I might chastise you. No. So I might enjoy some home cooking. No, that's coming after service. <laughs> because it's an evil place, I, I want to rescue you and bring you back to Israel where you can be among the holy people and not in Rome where there's, there's oppression and the, the emperors that, oh no, ah, we must rescue you. No. I long to impart some spiritual gift to you, he says. This isn't really use my super spiritual gift, but I want to rub off on you. I have the Holy Spirit. I've heard you have the Holy Spirit too. I long to be with you. We might impart to each other, encourage each other. How amazing this is for Paul, a a, a former student of the Pharisees, to be wanting to go and rub shoulders with these folks from Rome, probably Gentile, mostly believers. Oh, that you might sharpen me too, he says. We might reap some harvest together. God is my witness, verse 9, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. It's that gospel thing again. It won't go away. It drives Paul. Even as he prays for them, he's praying, oh, I've heard the gospel's going out among you. This is, of course, his obligation. Where God rescued him, though he was a murderer of Christians, that he might proclaim the gospel. And so he says there in verse 14, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Hey, I'm under obligation to proclaim the gospel. Even to Greeks, and he's probably somewhere right now as he writes this, among the Greeks, even to barbarians, they would think of Romans as as perhaps barbarians. Maybe not. Maybe they were the civilized ones. If so, they're the oppressors. Again, how amazing this is. You need to know how amazing this is. This has to penetrate your heart, how the gospel changes your vision. Why? Because it would be like this. It would be a little bit like what's happened this past week or so. Do you know the Libyans right now, some Muslim areas, don't really like the United States. They see them as the oppressors. What did they do? They overrun the embassy. Here's a fun picture. Look at this one. This is this week. That's our flag. Think of Paul writing to them and saying, oh, how I long to come among you and share with you the good news of Jesus. That's actually not the picture. The picture is the reverse of that. You realize? Because it would be these people who see the oppressor These people see the oppressor as the United States. So it would be like Paul, who would see the oppressor as who? The emperor of Rome, who's against the Christians, who, who, things are going to turn here really fast. Paul's going to be crucified. Paul's going to die. But, but no, no, this is amazing. This would be like someone in that crowd saying, oh, you know what? I long to come to America and tell you of the good things of Jesus, and we might rub shoulders together. That's anti-cultural. That's radically radically different than anything you can think of. How could they even think that way that, that, that though, that though these cultural divides might be there, they're so excited to come together and have fruit. What is it? It's the gospel. It trumps this. 
It trumps the national urges. It, it, it trumps the things that otherwise might separate us. It trumps the things that other might, otherwise might impassion and inflame us. It does. This is horrible and evil what things happen. But, but, but when people view each other as the oppressor and the under, those passions can ignite. And the gospel breaks it down. How Paul says, how I long to be with you. I want you to consider, I want you to consider that these people that he wants to go see, that he might encourage with the gospel, those of you who are in this room and know Jesus, I want you to consider that these people know Jesus Christ. They're saved. And Paul is saying to them, how I long to come with you that I might share the gospel with you. That also ought to, God, it'll jar your ears just a tiny bit. But whoa, 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 wait a minute. I needed the gospel to get saved. Do I want to come with you and share the gospel with you again? Get it saved again? Oh, not at all, right? This is for our lives. Our lives need to be about this central piece, this bridge that we walk on, the, the, the structure that's so solid of right thinking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. What saves us? What has saved us? Where's our righteousness? Where's, where's our life hidden? Oh, how I long to sit down with you, each of you, and encourage you about the right way to be thinking about daily living now. That's where he ends. As he says in 15, so I'm eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Hey, the gospel, I want, I want Christians to hear too. We need to be reminding ourselves of this. And then he says this amazing purpose that ends his introduction in verse 16. Look, gospel purpose. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful set of verses. If you haven't memorized it, you should. To be thinking through, this is his purpose. This is what he's going to run on through Romans. This is what his argument will be. This is where he's headed. What is it? I am not ashamed of the gospel. How might he have been ashamed? How might people have said, you should be ashamed of this message you're bringing? What should, what, what, what did the, why say that? Because he's not following Torah, that's why. Because his background is a Jew, and God's message was to the Jews, and God's promise was to the Jews, and God's good gift of the word of God, the Hebrew scriptures was to the Jews, and here he is sharing it with the Gentiles. I'm not ashamed of that, he says. You don't have to become an Israelite. We're not striving to be better to get to God. This is the open, freeing, good news of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. Oh, that we might not be ashamed of what the reality of the Bible tells us. May we be able to stand, right? It is, he says, the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. It's not the power of God to reformation. It's not the power of God to education. It's not the power of God to enlightenment. It's not the power of God to get a little better. It's the power of God to salvation. God making dead people alive. 
Both, he says, the Jew first. Why? Because the promises came to them. They've been hearing and listening to what's been proclaimed through the prophets for a long time. And to the Greek, to the Gentile. Salvation. You know, there's salvation in no one else. No other system. No religion. No works. No self-righteousness. No better karma. Just Jesus Christ. This huge, tremendous history of the Jews. Nope. Just Jesus. In it, he says, this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. This is critical. This is critical. Don't lose me. This is critical. How the righteousness of God in the gospel that he's presenting, the righteousness of God is revealed. God's righteousness. This gets important because this is the question that you need to answer for your life. How will I get the righteousness of God? That's the question for your life. If you go for your life and say, I understand how the righteousness of God is obtained and I've got it, something's changed in you. God's righteousness. We need the righteousness of God. Again, Paul's laying our thinking, and he's going to make this whole argument. Here's our problem, you and I, especially if you've lived a lot in the church, especially if you've listened to a lot of sermons, even my sermons, is that we hear a lot of truth put out on us, we hear a lot of different things put out on us, and we start to have a lot of truth kind of bumbled around, kind of like a bunch of chords. I know there's truth there, it's kind of all there. Big ball of yarn or kind of tangled out together, and I, I, I just, what, what, how do I get it? What, what do I really walk on? What, how do I really set the pillars straight? How do I get these cords? I start untangling them and I just get, get upset about not being able to. No, this is it. Your life foundationally ordered here. This is what Paul's going to do in his letter. He's going to take those cords and he's, he's making them in order for us. We need the righteousness of God. We know, just one other verse from ahead. Look at verse chapter 3, verse 21. Now the righteousness of God has been revealed, manifested, apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is both radical and foundational and can never leave you and must get in your heart and never go away. It orders all your thinking about your your pieces. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. It will be a gift given to you. We'll see it as we go. He's going to lay that out for us. But the question he's putting here, the gospel, is how the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, possibly here the faith of the Jews to the faith of the Gentiles, possibly the faith of the patriarchs to the faith of the nations, but it's all about faith, possibly faith first to last. And he quotes Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. Some people said the righteous by faith shall live. Or the righteous shall live by faithfulness, wanting to get some obedience in there. I think they're missing the point. Here's the thing to, to really see. 
The righteousness of God is revealed, you guys. It's huge. How do I ever get the righteousness of God? I'm part of the Gentile nations. I'm nothing. The righteousness of God is going to be revealed. And then he says, the righteous, quoting Habakkuk, shall live by faith. Do you see what changed? There is the righteousness of God revealed. And he's bringing in, look, the Old Testament talks about the righteous. And it's got to be you. How did you get that? Do you see the shift from God's righteousness to the righteous people? He's not talking about the righteous God shall live by faith. He's talking about righteous people. Are you righteous? I'm not, don't show your hand. Not now. I'm afraid of what you might say. The righteous shall live by faith. Somehow there's a people group out there that's the righteous. Are you among them? Did this righteousness of God get to you? Yes, and yes, and yes, and he'll show you exactly so you can never doubt this is what it looks like. That's what he's after. The message is the gospel. We're not ashamed of the gospel. Jesus Christ alone, not you. The key is the righteousness of God. That's what you need. Man can be called righteous. Look, righteous in Habakkuk. The righteous lives by faith. Faith that the righteousness of God is his. Faith in Jesus Christ, an object, not just general faithfulness. We'll see. He's not done. We all want to be good, <laughs> don't you? How do you get to be good? My, my little daughter right now, she cries, she sees her sin, she goes and runs to her bed and hides. I gotta go in and say, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? I'm so bad. Okay, she's only doing what I don't do anymore. I just feel inside. I just feel this little pit sometimes. She's still young enough where it just comes out. Guilty, shameful people. How in the world can I be standing saying, I am among the righteous? That's what needs to percolate through your thinking, your life today and every day. This needs to influence your decisions, your thinking, your activities, your parenting, your marriage, your plan for your life. How do you get this righteousness and how do I know it's mine? Paul clearly says, it is the gospel. I am not ashamed to tell you. It is the good news of Jesus Christ, not just for getting in, but for daily knowing that the righteousness of God is yours. This is good news. We're going to get ordered like this because we're going to go through Romans. We're going to go quickly, but we're going to see his argument. It's a clean argument. It's well supported. It's logical. We can walk with it. There are some problems along the way. We'll pause for them, but I want you to see this is the truth. How are you going to get God's righteousness? The gospel. The gospel. We must grow in the certainty and the settledness of the gospel. It's our goal. It's what maturity looks like. That more and more, we sang it this morning, we fix our eyes on him, Jesus Christ. I fix my eyes on Jesus, not on me. I'm not driving over some bridge with pieces falling off. I'm not about to hit the wrong stone and be stumbling off. I'm kept by the very power of God. How can that be? Fantastic. Glorious gospel. We will be strengthened. Connect everything to this. See that that's where Paul's coming from as he lays out his introduction for us.
Come back next week. We'll continue looking at his argument. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Lord, we thank you for Paul. We thank you that you prepared him. We thank you that you sent him. We thank you for this letter that you caused him to write. Lord, thank you for these words that have been written down for us. We thank you and praise you for the gospel. Father, with Paul, I pray for us we might not be ashamed of it. That our only hope is you. Our only righteousness is the righteousness that's been revealed in you. Father, we pray that you might cause that not just for our witness in evangelism, but for our daily living. Help us, Lord, in your name.